0: Amen. Thank you for that. They sounded so good together, you would think that they were family. (laughs) All right. Thank you, Harold family. Appreciate that so very, very much. What a blessing. And uh, they will be back again tonight and sharing some special music once again in our service uh, this evening. And thankful for their ministry to us this morning. James chapter number four, James chapter number four. And we will be occasionally looking back at Matthew chapter number seven as well. Matthew chapter number 7, as we will be using these two passages to help us in understanding the importance and to give an answer to the question, is it right to judge? Is it right to judge? I grew up in, in the west side of Indianapolis and I watched as a, I would refer to it as a feel-good church church. As it began to grow and expand and eventually it bought some property and we would pass this particular church quite regularly on our way to our church. And they would have a big sign out right by the road, no judging, just Jesus. And I would often drive by that and I would think, what do they do with so many passages of scripture that speak of judging and discernment and of Jesus Christ himself? being the judge, ultimately, of each and every person. The judgment seat of Christ, the great white throne judgment. This is a topic, I realize, that can be misunderstood. It can be difficult for us to sometimes understand, and it can be misunderstood. So I really want us to give some biblical answers, really see what the Bible has to say regarding judging, judging one another, judging others. James 4, verse 11, Speak not evil, One of another, brethren, he that speaketh evil of his brother and judgeth his brother, speaketh evil of the law and judgeth the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who art thou that judgest another? Here we are in this point in this great book. That God has given us preservation of his word, the inspiration of the Bible, and we've been working our way through the book of James. And in James 4, we've already seen in verses 6 through 10, as we looked at last week and the week before, James deals with pride. He deals with the fact that pride has the ability to separate us from God and ultimately is the cause for sin in the first place. And because of its ability to separate us from God, it can ultimately, pride, can ultimately keep an individual from coming to the Lord in saving faith. And he deals with that very clearly, very plainly, really in verses 1 through 10. But especially in verses 6 through 10, as we looked at last week, in drawing nigh to the Lord and the grace that is necessary for humility and for humility to in order for us to receive the grace of God being broken over our sin, coming to a holy God in humility and, and mourning over our sin, and submitting ourselves to God, in cleansing our hands and purifying our hearts and being afflicted and mourning over our sin and humbling ourselves in the sight of the Lord and letting Him do the lifting up. So He deals with pride. James confronts us regarding how we treat others. This has been a reoccurring theme in this book. James is concerned. These are 12 tribes scattered abroad. They have been through hardship. They have been persecuted, no doubt, in some cases. Not just persecution, but racial discrimination, being Jews, being cast out, having left, in many cases, their homeland, their place where... They had lived, and now we're having to take up a a new dwelling place and start new habits and learn new cultures and new areas. And he's concerned. He's dealt with trials. He's dealt with the tongue repeatedly, and he brings that up again because judging often comes in the form of words and what we say in the tongue. So James is dealing with relationships again. He's dealing with the fact that there's these 12 tribes scattered abroad, many of whom are believers, but some that are mixing with this, these groups of Jews, some are unsaved. So he's making application to the saved as well as to the unsaved. And we're, we're, we're making application back and forth from time to time as we work through the book. And he's concerned because they're apparently in all of that they have been through, James is. Recognizing some some rifts, maybe some contentions, some divisions, and he he deals with the root again of these contentions, the cause, the root cause for these contentions. The root cause again being the loss of our heart, the sin of our hearts, our pride ultimately. And he gets to verse eleven, and he says very clearly in a command, in an imperative, speak not evil, one of another, brethren. Now he's making a very clear, specific application to believers. Of all people who should know better, it should be believers. The unsaved, they practice this all the time. The unsaved, they are very good, can I say very bad, at going back and forth with this evil speaking of one another. It is a common habitual practice. Literally, we would refer to the word as slander. And in a world of tolerance, in a world of moral relativism, judging is seen as one of the most intolerable of all sins. There aren't many sins even identified as sin much in our world today. But in this world of individual expression and personal autonomy, tolerance, and moral relativism, still it seems that judging is one thing that a lot of people still see as wrong, as bad. But there's a lot of wrong definitions of judging out there. A lot of wrong standards by which people judge. And James is going to address this area of judging, because there's obviously an issue among the brethren in this speaking evil of slandering one another. And James, in strong terms, condemns the wrong kind of judging. Matthew 7, we read there also about judging. And Matthew is condemning the wrong kind of judging. So these two verses are very similar to Matthew 7. It's not uncommon for James to pattern his teaching after the Sermon on the Mount. It's really easy, I shouldn't say easy, but it's its really fairly easy to identify the correlation as James deals with issues very similar to what Jesus deals with in the Sermon on the Mount. And we see that here in verses 11 and 12, very, very similar To Matthew 7, 1 through 5. But we're gonna see, first of all, this morning in this passage, we're gonna see a strict prohibition. A strict prohibition. Speak not evil. Again, this is the word slander, to defame. This is derogatory, malicious rhetoric toward one another. It can be in the form of malicious gossip, it can be backbiting. It can be in angry expressions toward one another. In our world today, it is more and more behind screens, using a keyboard, using a touchscreen, out on the Internet. Slander, speak not evil. Do not slander. Do not defame your brethren. We know from Exodus 23 in verse number one, thou shalt not raise a false Reports. put not thine hand with the wicked to be an unrighteous witness. We know from the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not bear false witness. That has to do with all the different forms of deception, including specifically the lying about another individual. We know that command is prohibitive of all forms of lying deception. But we know specifically false witness has to do with lying about another individual in order to harm them, their reputation, etc. Exodus 23 repeats that thou shalt not raise a false report. We are very strict and we come, come out very strongly against lots of different moral sins, immorality and various immoral types of sins. But have we not been guilty of gossip, of malicious, angry rhetoric, of slander toward our own brothers and sisters in Christ? Exodus 23 forbids false reports, being an unrighteous witness. Psalm 50 and verse 20. Thou and speakest against thy brother. Thou slanderest thine own mother's son. Psalm 50 is... Very clearly speaking about this problem of slander, the, the sin of falsely accusing or speaking evil of one another, even thine own brother or sister in Christ. Psalm 101 and verse 5 Whoso privily slandereth his neighbor, him will I cut off. Him that hath a high look and a proud heart will not I suffer. Strong words from the psalmist by the inspiration of God in Psalm 101. God does not take slandering lightly. Him will I cut off. He talks about the root of this pride, the high look that even James has been addressing in this same context. And he refers to that person as being a person of a high look and a proud heart that will not experience the mercy of God. Proverbs 10 and verse 18, he that hideth hatred with lying lips and he that uttereth a slander is a fool. God calls slandering foolish, those who do it as fools. He says in Proverbs 10, verse 18, he that hideth hatred with lying lips. Have we ever thought about the habit of the heart The sin of the heart of anger and bitterness, how that is a form of slander in our hearts and our minds toward that individual that many times comes out externally, doesn't it? In word and in action. And there's often deception, lying with that. Lying is an expression of hatred toward a brother toward a person it's not something that we like to think of because it hurts oh it's just a little lie oh it's just an innocent oh just cover up really just a little white lie lying lips are an act of hatred toward that individual it can actually be a form of slander We continue in Proverbs 11, in verse 9, And hypocrite with his mouth destroyeth his neighbor, but through knowledge shall the just be delivered. So again, the idea of hypocrisy, of lying, slander often is accompanied with deception, lying, false witness. Ephesians 4, in verse 31, moving to the New Testament, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you With all malice, all that should be put away. Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking, malice, all should be put away from us. It should not mark the life of a believer. We are, again, very hard and we should be on all the immorality and the sexual sins of our culture. But what about the bitterness and the wrath, the anger, the clamor, the evil speaking, the malice? What about those sins? Did we take it easy on ourselves? Did we give ourselves a pass? 2 Timothy 3 and verse 3 refers to false accusers. In the context of 2 Timothy 3 and verse 3 is the fact that we are living in the last days, perilous times. And one of the characteristics in the last days of these perilous times is false accusers. This slandering. We know the unsaved practice it. It happens almost daily in the legacy mass media. It seems like that is a common practice, slandering. Who who are the mass media, the legacy media, the unsaved, often slandering? Believers. Truth. But are we not sometimes guilty? If we're not careful, we'll be guilty of doing that within the church toward one another. It's a characteristic of the last days of the perilous times, false accusers. It is one of the sins listed in 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 11, over which a person can face church discipline. We know that the main sin that they were dealing with in the Corinthian church was the man who was living immorally with his stepmother but in the list of those who would face church discipline is a word called a railer. That's the slanderer. They also should face church discipline if there's an individual in the church who is guilty of this kind of unrepentant slandering, railing. We know from Luke 6 and verse 37, from Romans 2 and verse number 1, principles regarding proper judgment of one another so is this passage contradicting other passages that refer to discernment trying the spirits of course it's not contradicting these are supplementary passages what is the strict prohibition the strict prohibition is against hypocritical self-righteous slandering Malice, a condemn, a condemning spirit, a condemnation that comes from the heart, as if we are raising ourselves up in the place of God. And He's dealing with a specific form of judgment, condemnation, slander, that is hypocritical, that is selfish. And he's not contradicting the necessity for us to be discerning believers. He's not contradicting the command to confront a brother, to practice church discipline. This is clearly not forbidding biblical confrontation of a sinning brother. Slander is a strict prohibition. But there is a need For confrontation, there is a need for us to practice biblical discernment. Matthew 18, the passage on church discipline and the steps of confrontation that are necessary individually in a small group of two or three witnesses, the church. Galatians 6 talks about restoring a brother. Which results in a confrontation. Ye which are spiritual restore such a one in a spirit of meekness. That's a confrontation. Galatians 6.1 refers to 1 Corinthians 5. We've already referenced the confrontation that the church had to have with that sinning church member involved in that immoral relationship. So speak not evil one of another brethren is not a blanket. Do not judge Don't practice biblical discernment, never confront sin. No, it is a strict prohibition, like Matthew 7, of a hypocritical, self-righteous, arrogant, proud, judging, condemning, slandering of other believers. We know in 1 Corinthians 5, they were to purge 11. Titus 1 and verse 13 says, Rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. There's a time where there has to be a rebuke sharply of those who are in unrepentant sin. Biblical preaching involves reproving and rebuking. Titus 3 and verse number 10, reject a divisive man. Luke 17 and verse 3, take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. 2 Thessalonians 3, 14 and 15. If any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him that he may be ashamed. Yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Sometimes I think we're really good at counting them as an enemy and we forget the other part of that verse. Admonish him as a brother. We have... Clearly, biblical principles regarding the proper exercise of biblical judgment, biblical discernment, biblical confrontation. So again, we refer back to Matthew chapter 7, as we looked at in our scripture reading, Matthew 7. And we hear this often, right? Many times by unsaved, many times by people who've never even read the Bible, They just know a few verses they like to cherry-pick, and we hear it. Judge not, that ye be not judged. This, again, is a prohibition against hypocritical judgment. Hypocritical judging is egotistical, it is self-righteous, and it is unmerciful to others. Jesus is warning against judging the hearts of others based on selfish, prejudiced, And unmerciful motives. Especially when we have a big old beam in our eye. And we're trying to cast out the splinter in somebody else's eye. As we read earlier. And is there in Matthew 7. Why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye. The little splinter in your brother's eye. But consider not the beam. The big two by four. The big, big piece of lumber that's in our own eye. So he's. Prohibiting, egotistical, self-righteous, unmerciful, hypocritical judgment. That kind of condemning spirit. He's warning us against judging the hearts of others based on selfish, prejudiced, and unmerciful motives. The Pharisees, the Pharisees were guilty of condemning others based on their own worldly, self-made traditions. Heaping upon the doctrines of God the commandments of men. Full of hypocrisy. We are warned not to judge people based on our self-made standards. James is going to refer to that right here in James 4, 11 and 12 about God being the lawgiver. We must never judge people in a condescending manner or in a hasty manner without the facts. As a school principal for 13 years and assistant principal for six years before that and even as a pastor, it has been a reoccurring time of self-examination, of humility, when I have had to confront people, when I've had to deal with students, when I've had to deal with church people. That is, I'm going to do some confrontation, and I don't like confrontation. I don't enjoy confrontation. I think that there were kids in school, when I was a school principal, And our Christian school, I think that they thought that I woke up in the morning and I was like, hmm, who can I get today? Hmm, Who's on the bad list today? I didn't do that. I didn't look forward to going down the hallway and having to deal with stuff. I didn't look forward to having to keep discipline records, deal with parents and all the other things. I don't go throughout my week as a pastor and say, hmm, who can I spy on this week that I can get? Boy, I can't wait for the next deacons meeting. We can come up with a group of names that we can go after and try to kick them out. That's not the spirit of our deacons. That's not the spirit of our church. That's not my spirit. I certainly hope and pray that's not the attitude that, that you see in me. That would be a, a hypocritical, self-righteous kind of judgment. That's not the spirit. We're to follow biblical principles of confrontation. We're to go in a spirit of meekness. We're to speak the truth in love. We're to examine ourselves first. We're to go in humility, realizing if not for the grace of God, so go I. And we're to go with the truth of God in the mercy and the love of God and applying the truth of God, the standard of God's word to that person's life. What about discernment? Biblical principles of confrontation must be followed with the spirit of meekness, speaking the truth in love, understanding the role of the Holy Spirit in people's lives. I can't take the place of the Holy Spirit. I'm not the fourth person of the Trinity. The Bible does, though, clearly teach us to be discerning. Discernment is a mark of spiritual maturity. We're not to be children tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. Our senses are to be exercised as mature people, recognizing the good and the evil. Discernment is a sign of spiritual maturity. Hebrews 5 and verse 14 that I just quoted, our senses exercised to discern both good and evil. We're to judge false teaching, Galatians eight: If any man bring any other gospel then that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. Try the spirits, 1 John 4.1. Romans 16, 17 and 18 speaks of discernment and holding fast to what is good. Proving, testing, trying, and holding fast to that which is good. Even down in Matthew 7 and verse 15, we are told to beware of whom? False prophets. We ought to be able to recognize false prophets, false teaching. Call them out. Recognize good fruit and bad fruits. We're even told in this passage in Matthew 7 to not cast our pearls before swine. That implies judgment. we got to know who a pig is. we got to be able to recognize a swine. We've got to be able to recognize a pig. We're in a world today that doesn't exercise much judgment at all, much discernment at all. They're glad to hang out with the pigs and wonder why they're dirty. Even trying to redefine plagiarism recently. We I can go on and on. We're to exercise good discernment. We're to be a judging people using biblical discernment, following biblical standards and following biblical practices. We're to judge all things. He that is spiritual judgeth all things. Discernment again. In John 7 and verse 24, judge righteous judgment. Apply biblical truth to all Areas prove all things first Thessalonians 5 and verse 21 and avoid even the appearance of evil every time evil makes an appearance avoid it. That means we have to be able to recognize evil when it appears when it makes a manifestation when it shows up. We have to be able to say yeah that's evil and avoid it get away from it. So we are to judge but we're to do so biblically and we're not to have this hypocritical, self-righteous judgment of slandering, of speaking evil one of another in a hypocritical, self-righteous, condemning way with pride. That is the strict prohibition. But we also see, secondly, the standard, the standard of judgment. The standard of judgment. Hypocritical, self-righteous, unmerciful judgment Raises us up above the law of God. A place that we have no business being in. James 4, verse 11. He that speaketh evil of his brother and judgeth his brother speaketh evil of the law and judgeth the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. Slandering people violates God's commands to love our neighbor as ourselves, to let no corrupt communication proceed out of our mouth. It breaks the principles of kindness and meekness, whether that come in the form of gossip, verbal attacks, or angry online malicious rhetoric. Again, we're guilty too many times. Of thinking, well, it's just on the Internet. It's just a post on social media. No one can see me. We are guilty of saying things, even about other brothers and sisters in Christ. We'll say them in digital form through a text, through a post, through some expression on the Internet. And we think that because it's not face to face, we're behind a screen. It doesn't matter. No, even those words God will hold into judgment. God sees even the text that we send, the social media posts that we put on. And there really isn't delete. Delete really doesn't mean delete when it comes to the digital world. I know that you can get 30,000 emails bleached off your hard drive, depending on who you are. But there are people in cybersecurity who know how to extract from hard drives and they're very good at it. And there are people who know how to go into the archives of the, of the Internet. And there are people who lose jobs or don't get hired because of things that they've posted. And sometimes I know that's not fair, but delete doesn't mean delete. Just because we're behind a screen or using our touchscreen doesn't mean that we have permission to violate God's commands regarding corrupt communication regarding loving our neighbor as ourselves. No, those principles still apply. The principles of kindness and meekness. Churches have been split over gossip, malicious rhetoric, judging each other's motives, not based on standards of truth and upholding what is right, not based on a refusal to compromise convictions and biblical truth, but churches have split over ridiculous things over little personal petty things. Some people have never darkened the door of a church again because of something that somebody said. Now, I think that there has to be a point where somebody moves on. Just because somebody offends us, hurts our feelings, doesn't mean that we should drop out on obedience to God's command to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. That doesn't mean that we should drop out on God because somebody says something we didn't like. But sadly, there are some churches that split over the paint on the walls and where the organ's going to be on the platform. I've used the illustration before. We sat at a doctor's office, and we literally were listening to two couples at the same church as we were sitting in the doctor's office. And they were arguing over where the organ was going to sit on the platform. And they were about ready to go to the, whoever the committee and whoever the leadership was at their church. I know exactly what church they were talking about over on High School Road in Indianapolis. And they were talking about this church, and I was like, oh, boy. They're looking for a church split because they're going to fight over where the organ sits on the platform. We can get into some pretty slanderous, gossip, backbiting, backstabbing behavior as believers. If we aren't humble, if we don't step on our pride, if we don't humble ourselves before the Lord, if we don't follow God's standards when it comes to judging judging and judgment, God is the supreme lawgiver. There is one lawgiver, verse 12, who is able to save and to destroy. Who art thou that judgest another? God is the supreme lawgiver. We're not to raise ourselves up into God's place. Our judgment of other believers should reflect Christ's character. I know none of us do this perfectly. But we should be striving to do so. To judge righteous judgments. God reserves the right and has the authority to forgive or to condemn, to administer consequences, or to show mercy. It doesn't mean that when God gives us rightful, God-given authority that we don't exercise that properly. Of course, I've sat in many, many, many meetings where I knew I was not going to make either side happy. There was no way. I had to make a decision based on the facts that I could get. I didn't have a CSI team. I did not have a forensic investigation team. I didn't have a fingerprint kit. I may have had some video evidence, some cameras. I may have had some notes. But sadly, nowadays, it's really hard because of the internet and all the things that can go on in DMs and the so-called privacy of the internet. It can be hard to get to the facts. But sometimes you just have to render a judgment as a God given authority and trust the Lord with the best decision you can before the Lord with the facts that you have, and trust the Lord to deal with whatever the the situation is and to work in hearts. But God is ultimately the judge. There have been many times as a pastor or as a principal where I have just had to say this is the best I can do in the decision that I have to make before God and I've even fallen on my own sword sometimes and said, I have messed up here, but this still applies. I'm sorry I didn't say this right or do this right, but this is the way it is. This is what God's word says. This is the the rule. We have to move forward with this. These are the consequences. And I've had to, in my heart and my mind, had to say, God is ultimately going to judge. God is ultimately going to deal with them. If you're an evolutionist, if you're an atheist... What do you do about all the judgment and justice that seems to go undone in our culture today? What about these people who've lost children or lost a loved one due to some criminal activity and they never got caught? Who's ever going to hold them into judgment? God will. We administer justice the very best we can. We apply the biblical principles and we trust God who is the supreme lawgiver. There are times where we have to step back and we do everything we can. We say everything we possibly can with the best disposition we possibly can with our hearts clear before the Lord. And then we say, Lord, you deal with this individual. Lord, you work in this situation. I cannot take your place. I cannot resort to mudslinging and slandering and backbiting and gossip and pulling up Confederates in my army against this person in the church and malign them. In order to get my way, no, I have to take a step back, swallow my pride, do everything I can, take every avenue I can, according to biblical principles, the chain of command, proper authorities, and applying biblical truth, speaking the truth in love, and judging righteous judgment, and then trust the Lord. He is the supreme lawgiver. God reserves the right. He has the authority to forgive, condemn, to administer consequences, or to show mercy. Jesus said himself, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Matthew 28, I believe it's verse 19, Jesus says, All power, in the Great Commission, all authority is given to him in heaven and in earth. Isaiah 33 and verse 23, For the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, the Lord is our king, he will save us. What was going on among these groups of Jews That God had James as he revealed his inspired word in this letter that he preserved for us today that applies right now in the 21st century. What was going on among these groups of believers? Some unbelievers who had attached themselves to these groups of Jews, the 12 tribes scattered abroad. They had done right. They had suffered persecution. They had stood up for the Lord in many cases. Yet James was concerned about some rifts, some fractures, some division, some slandering among the brethren. Reminds us of the Corinthian church. Where they were dividing up into groups. Some follow Apollos, some Cephas, some Jesus, some Apollos. Dividing up into groups, claiming greater spirituality based on who they were following. Who was their so-called leader or personality. We have that in our 21st century. We have people who are divvying up the church based on who their favorite celebrity preacher or pastor or, or whatever group. <laughs> it, it's, it, just, it angers me sometimes because I see people, I see men in the ministry who are more loyal to certain groups, institutions, and celebrity preachers than they are to the Word of God and to Jesus Christ. You know, they didn't have the Internet and social media like we do today. Again, our slandering is often done behind a screen, on a keyboard or a touchscreen, maybe even talk to text. Don't you just get annoyed with talk to text? It never gets it right. You have to keep going back and autocorrect can be auto-mistake. <laughs> it's hard sometimes. But we're so guilty with our fingers Behind the screen. Are we really pointing to the truth? Are we really pointing people to the word of God? To the truth? Are we really applying the law of God in a gracious and caring way? Or are we just trying to win? I have been so disgusted sometimes among people who are so-called Christians It happens in families. We deal with this, don't we, as parents and grandparents with our kids, and sometimes it's no longer about what actually is good and right and best for the family or for the situation. It's just about winning at all costs. And we resort to dirty politics sometimes in the church and among brothers and sisters in Christ, just trying to win. Do we resort to the mudslinging, the inflammatory methods of the unsaved? You know, it's increasingly harder in today's world to apply the word of God to people's lives. It's really difficult, it seems at times, because people have excuses for participating in activities that are clearly not scriptural. But if you confront them, question them, they accuse you of slander. It just seems like so-called Christians are engaging in activities in increasing in the worldliness That puts them in places of temptation. That causes them to compromise biblical convictions. That causes people who name the name of Christ to walk in the counsel of the ungodly. To stand in the way of sinners. To sit in the seat of the scornful. Like Psalm 1 talks about. Should we just say, oh well. And no longer confront, no longer follow biblical principles of judgment and discernment. Of course we should. We should still continue to proclaim the truth and call people to the truth. And help them apply the word of God. Our theme this year for the year 2024 is discipleship. I'm going to bring a message tonight to start off that theme. And how important it is for us as believers. To call each other into accountability in a biblical, proper way. Way. But we have to, first of all, have the right integrity and character and spirit as we go about the confrontation. You know, sometimes it seems as soon as we try to apply the commands, the principles, the patterns, the promises of God's word with godly counsel, sometimes people rise up in anger and accuse us. The main one that I get accused of is legalism. Oh, you're too legalistic. But it just seems like as the world shifts, Christians just keep shifting with it, and keep giving up standards, and keep compromising, and giving more and more, and allowing more and more of the world to influence instead of holding true to the Word of God and the principles of the Word of God, and avoiding temptation, and avoiding compromise, and not walking in the counsel of the Godly, not standing in the seat of sinners, or sitting in the seat of the scornful. But at the same time, we've been guilty of having right doctrine having the wrong disposition. It's important that we have right doctrine. We also need to go about it with the right disposition. The spirit of meekness and humility. In love. I know it can be a fine line sometimes. But as we close. We have to ask ourselves some questions. Is there biblical grounds. For even bringing this up. Before I go about and. Say something negative. Do I have biblical grounds. For bringing this up. Have I gotten the facts, or if I just believe three other people who don't like that individual either. I know I can't stand them either. So, oh yeah, I'm going to believe the first three people that say something negative about that individual. Yep, I'm going to buy it. But then there's other people who have good things to say. (laughs) Are we not guilty of that? And We can get into that if we're not careful. Do I have biblical grounds? Do I have the facts? Do I have the truth? How do I go about dealing with the issue? In someone's life. What's the MO? How am I going to go about doing this? Am I going to trust God who is the supreme lawgiver? Am I going to raise myself up to the law of God or above God's law? Am I going to violate principles of kindness? What about examining myself? Do I practice mercy, humility, and meekness as I deal with this issue? How can I be strong in my convictions while also kind in my approach? How can we have a steel hand with a satin glove? (laughs) It can be hard sometimes. We have to have a tough hide and a tender heart. And we're always going to have those naysayers and accusers. But we have to follow biblical principles of judgment. Lest we be guilty of slander. But we also can't go too far the other way and just compromise on biblical convictions and not exercise biblical discernment, and not judge righteous judgment, and not confront where it where sin needs to be confronted. There's that balance that we must have. We have to depend upon the Lord for. And God wants us there, doesn't He? To never uh, get ourselves to the point where we think that we are the authority. No, we are to submit ourselves to God's authority and apply these principles, these truths, carefully and cautiously and compassionately with conviction. By the inspiration of God, preservation of God's word, James gives us a lot to think about this morning, doesn't he? A lot of good truth to chew on. Let's be sure, let's be sure, each and every one of us to allow the Holy Spirit to apply these truths, to make the appropriate changes in our lives for Christ's likeness and ultimately for God's glory. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the truth of your word. Lord, help us not to be guilty of this kind of slanderous behavior. Help us to exercise humility. Though, Lord, we must confront sin, we must not compromise biblical convictions, we must speak the truth. Lord, help us to do it in love. Help us, Lord, to have good unity in our church. Help us to practice these truths, to live them out. Lord, help us to be faithful, obedient, God-honoring individuals, even as we have to deal with sin and confrontation. Lord, even as we have to confront, Lord, help us to do so in a way that honors and pleases you. Lord, if there's someone here this morning who does not know you as their Savior, Lord, pray that you'll bring them under conviction regarding their sin. Bring them to saving faith, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Jake is going to come and lead us in our closing hymn this morning. We sing. Five hundred and twenty-one channels only. Just a few moments ago we'll stand and find five hundred and twenty-one channels only. As Jake comes and leads us, stands the number one. If God is working in your